Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight. This is episode 27. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am talking with P.D. Dave Basconi. Dave grew up in rural coal mining West Virginia with his two brothers. All worked in their parents' hardware store. He discovered his passion for horses at an early age when making deliveries with his father to local farms. Upon graduation with an engineering degree, he headed off to Connecticut, was soon married, and raised two sons. The dream to bring horses into his life came to life when he and his wife moved to a new location. That decision brought a host of new adventures, along with all of its challenges and rewards. A good decision with lots of work and no regrets. The chance to write about it came from the fortunate encounter with some very interesting and accomplished people in the world of books and media. Dave still lives in Connecticut with his wife, three cats, and four horses. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi everyone, welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight. Today I am so excited to have fellow horsebook author P.D. Basconi on the show with me. I'm going to refer to him as Dave, but that is his uh, pen name. So welcome to the show, Dave. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thanks, Carly. I'm happy to be here. Great. And what's so cool about this interview and, and what I found so neat is you actually reached out to me, Dave, because you saw an article in Horse Illustrated that featured the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. And you were like, hey, I write horse books. I'd love to talk with you. And I was like, yeah, come on the show. So, you know, have you always been a lover of Horse Illustrated? Do you have a magazine subscription? Yes, I've uh, had one for years. And it's been great for me because I've learned a lot from it. The, mm -hmm. the articles are great. And uh, so, yes, it's just been wonderful for me as well. I agree. I have loved Horse Illustrated magazine ever since I was a little cowgirl and, you know, have, have subscriptions. And then when they featured the podcast, it was just magical because, you know, I grew up with the publication and it brought us together and it's uniting me with other authors, which really makes me happy. So, uh, Dave, what I love is uh, kicking these interviews off with a conversation about how people got into horses and how their love affair with horses started. And I know from reading your book, Nonsense to Horse Sense, what we're going to talk about, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, that you have always wanted a horse, but you started your love affair with horses at a later time in life. So talk to us a little bit about how your journey with horses began. Well, it began in my uh, childhood uh, from my earliest memories. And, um, Again, I was one of those uh, kids that sat in front of the TV to watch uh, Roy Rogers uh, because of the horses. And um, then as I got a little older, uh, my cousin had a horse, a pony, so I was able to spend a little time there. Uh, what really got me thinking about it uh, was um, my parents opened a hardware store and we would make deliveries to farms and just everything about going to a farm would exciting, especially if they have horses. And um, then uh, I went to camp one summer. They had horseback riding. That was a 
best activity for me. Matter of fact, I'd be riding horses while everyone else was doing something else, you know. <laughs> so uh, it goes back to my early days, early memories, but uh, nothing happened until much later in life. So. Uh, and then what made you pull the trigger? What made you just decide, I am going to be a horse owner? I've wanted one this whole time and I'm just going to do it. What, what made you make that choice? Well, it was, uh, things happened for a reason. My, mm -hmm. uh, when I left uh, West Virginia, where I grew up and came to Connecticut, I pretty much given up on the idea. No one in my family ever had horses. And I just thought it was just something someone else did, you know. But uh, my son got engaged to a woman who was a horse person. Oh, yes. A horse magazine was a trade magazine for horses. And I said, can I see that? So I'm flipping through it, and it actually had horse property in it. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I were getting ready to move. And just this thought hit me. He says, you know, maybe now's the time to get a horse. And uh, so that, that was the seed. So I started, um, my wife is thinking, well, okay, here's another, you know, crazy adventure. But she went along with it. And uh, that's how it started. But. I think getting horses later in life, I kind of made up with the delay with volume. I didn't get a horse. I ended up with four horses. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what you go, what you go into detail about in your book. So, you know, and you still have, I mean, it's such a cool adventure. So, so tell us a little bit about your herd. And I love that you just decided to go for it. Something that you'd always dreamed of. And then you, you saw that magazine and some of my favorite things to do is to look through those horse properties and then you just jumped on it. So, you know, so, so here you are, your wife says, yes, you get this horse property. Tell us about your herd. I'm, I'm sure listeners would like to know. <laughs> well, the, um, I don't want to give too much away uh, in the book. You know, we want to leave something for the readers. But uh, my my first horse was a pregnant mare by design. And um, we were going to move into a corner of the state that was going to end up being too far away from my son and daughter-in-law. And, you know, we wanted to be close for the grandkids and all. So we're thinking, all right, let's let's move a little Let's change our minds here. But uh, up in that part of the state, there was a woman who had horses, and we walked by her farm. And I never thought about, uh, you know, stopping in or anything. But once we made the decision to get a horse, that's when things uh, started to happen. I pulled in one day, and one thing led to another. And oh, she was very cautious. Uh, she wasn't. She asked me a bunch of questions, and then. We kind of became friends, and uh, she agreed to sell me a horse, which I was very comfortable with that mm -hmm. because uh, you got to be careful in the horse market. I think in most cases, people want the horse to go to a good home, and they try to make sure it's a good match. But, you know, on occasion, it, it doesn't turn out so well. So anyhow, I ended up with a um, my first horse with the, as a pregnant mare, and then, you know, we had to add. Uh, she couldn't be alone, you know, horses are herd animals, so we needed another one for her. And then, uh, so that brought it up to three after the, the Durham was born. And then um, the lady that was also a mutual friend with this lady, she um, wanted to get rid of a couple of horses. She had to reduce the herd size. So I was one of the two people that she would 
she would sell it to because she wanted to make sure it went to a good home. And it happened to be uh, the uh, sister and daughter of one of the horses I had. So it's amazing how the, 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 the horses ended up together at one place. Usually, you know, when they're born, they just scatter. Mm -hmm. And I ended up with, uh, with uh, the mother and the son and the daughter. So that's, that's unique, I think. That is really unique. And, you know, without giving too much away, why? I mean, I think a lot of horse people listening to this podcast would be like, oh, wow, a first horse, you chose a mare who was in full. What what compelled you to want to do that for your first horse? Uh, well, it was the actually suggested by the uh, lady that's only the horse. The name mm -hmm. is just said, well, why don't we try this and see what happens before you know, Emmy goes to your place. I can try to breed her here at mine. Okay. And, uh, so like, mean, a like a two for one deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Buy one, get one. Yeah. yeah. Now, would you recommend that to a uh, time horse owner having gone through that experience? Well, not necessarily. Uh, not for, if you've, if you've had horses or have horses, then that's fine. Obviously. Right. You know what to do, but. No, I, I tend to take um, a leap of faith on a lot of things, and so it's not for the timid. Uh, I, so would I recommend it? No. Can it be done? Yes. Yeah, I like that answer. That's really great. I mean, the, the thing is, though, too, if you do buy a mare in full, you're not going to be able to get a lot of riding done uh, right out of the gate. So that's something to be to be cautious of. So, But I find it interesting that you kind of followed your – news or your inspiration as you're you know taking your journey with these horses so um and you you include a lot of really cool pictures of your herd in your book as you're kind of discussing uh your really interesting topics which kind of leads us into um talking about your book uh nonsense to horse sense how horses tell us the truth about ourselves and how we live so i i really i think that the best way to approach this is kind of have you summarized uh, summarize the book for listeners and, you know, kind of talk to us about what compelled you to write this book? Well, the, the book, uh, what inspired me to write the book was learning from, the, from my horses mm -hmm. and uh, realizing, I think, at one point, uh, there's a lot of nonsense going on. I think it's gotten worse as time goes going on but I'd go down to the barn uh, angry or upset or frustrated or you know about what's going on either with the job or just in general and I noticed it didn't take long for all that tension just to drain from from my body I'd get engaged with the horses and the chores and all of that and all of a sudden it was just easier to think through things Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was an amazing place and it was quiet I, I don't play music or you know I, I enjoy quiet and um, so the barn became my sanctuary and when you're in a position or in a place where you can actually observe and start to think through things you start to make the connections and I'm going okay why are we having some some all these issues and horses seem to have worked this out a long time ago. And uh, so it kind of started with that. And uh, plus, I was reading horse magazines at the time because mm -hmm. I was still a fairly new horse owner. And I love to learn. 
So by reading magazines and books and articles and things like that, uh, I was starting to understand how they think and how they operate. And so over time, it just uh, became obvious that, you know, maybe we should be taking a, a lesson from them uh, because uh, they've been here for millions of years and they are a prey animal. Mm-hmm. I think being a prey animal was huge in helping me to come to some of the, you know, draw some conclusions about all of this. And uh, so once I had that in place, uh, the whole idea was to uh, put together a book that was easy to read. And I, I wrote it for teenage and up because mm-hmm. when I actually got to the point where the uh, book was maybe going to happen, I was talking to someone, a friend, I actually thought she would write the book because she had just retired as a professor of philosophy. She'd written like 60 books. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, I, I got the story. I got the facts. I'm not a writer. Uh, she is. And um, so when I approached her on it, she goes, yeah, I'm tired of writing. Uh, you write it. I'll help. And um, okay, so that's that's what we did. And she did say something uh, that uh, I I think I passed along to you. She said, not everyone, uh, no one writes a book that everyone likes or agrees with. And she goes, if you believe it, just put it out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. If you're waiting for perfection, that's never going to happen. And uh, so we we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And she did help with the early chapters. And then uh, once I kind of got the flow, and, uh, you know, learned what I needed to do, then I kind of finished it from there. But uh, that, that and it was meant to be an easy read book, but for teenage and up, and I say it that way because the teenager can read it, the parents can read it, and the grandparents, and they can all take something from it mm-hmm. uh, just based on their maturity level, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, I was going to say I totally got that from your book. It is very easy to read, and it's very insightful, and it's also funny, you know? It's like, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was... Um, I enjoyed it because it was a quick read and, and there were so many yeah. really great points that you make about, you know, the human community versus the horse herd. And, you know, if we could have adopt some of these things that horses do into how we communicate with other humans, we would be like a happier species. Right. And like, I really got that from reading your book. Um, and uh, so I wanted, I really wanted to ask you because you were, you know, a lot of, a lot of people will have like an idea for a book and then want to go to other people to have that person write the book. But I'm, I'm really excited that you didn't go that route and that she had you write your own book. Like, what did you discover for yourself having written it yourself? Like, I mean, I'm sure there's the accomplishment of having written a book when you, you know, when you were thinking you're going to have somebody else to do it, but like what kind of unraveled for you as you, as you wrote your own book? One that is a hard work. It, it, writing is hard, and I really respect people that write well, uh, especially, you know, if you read some of the more difficult subjects, uh, uh, they, not only do they write well, but they break it down so it's easily understood, and uh, so I was trying to model that 
in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things she said to me uh, when she was reviewing the chapters, uh, she goes, you're chatting. And I go, excuse me? She goes, we call that chatting when you're just talking to someone. And so what, what I found that works for me, I wasn't really writing. I was just talking to people. Mm -hmm. I simply just had a conversation and it ended up, you know, being words that went on, on paper. Uh, and it made it so much easier because uh, I, I like one-on-one -on -one discussions. I, I mean, I'm okay in a group, but I think you get more out of a one-on-one -on -one discussion. People open up and they talk to you. And so that's what I tried to do with the book is just have a discussion with someone. And um, my brother even, because I had a few people take a look at it. And, and one of the things he said was, I like your style. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. Uh, you know, the more positive, the better. But uh, I think um, it took me a little while to figure out that just uh, having a conversation, putting in that in words on paper, made it a lot easier for me. I, I, it worked for me, anyhow. Yeah, it, it was a very unique style. I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was very conversational and, uh, and chatty. I love that she said that because that, that's exact. I did feel like I was having a conversation with you and you were telling me a story and it was, it was an engaging read and it wasn't, it was an easy read, like you said, which, which makes it even more enjoyable. And I can see families sharing your book with each other and talking about the topics that you talk about and being inspired to learn more about horses and learning about horses for themselves through your words. I, I really, I really thought it was unique and I, and I liked how you Thank did it. It was really thoughtful of you to send a copy my way too. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I have it here on my bookshelf and I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes so people can go discover the book. And you know, this is a very personal book that you wrote. It's a very personal journey of, you know, what you discovered through horse ownership in your life with horses and, uh, you know, insightful philosophical looks on how life could be a better place if we mimicked some of the behaviorisms of horses. So, you know, in a nutshell, if you could leave readers with one message after they finished reading your book, what, what would you want that to be? Well, um, I sent that uh, article uh, when I sent the book, did, uh, do you have that? Uh, I have it here. Would you like me to? Yeah. Uh, I was uh, thinking before the interview started, mm -hmm. uh, if maybe you could read a paragraph or two, or just read a certain amount, a certain section, then we can talk about it. Sure. And that's the message that I was trying to uh, put out there. And uh, Carly, before uh, we leave the first, the other topic, um, this book, I think, doesn't have to be a horse person. It was written for the horse person who would recognize certain things in it, but the non-horse person would learn about horses. I agree. And I've, I've had feedback from both types of people, and they enjoyed it, but for different reasons, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so, and by the way, the age range, I think I did okay with that um, because the two testimonials on the back, uh, one of them is a an 80-year-old retired professor of philosophy, that's uh, Dr. Rhonda, mm -hmm. and then the other one is a 13-year-old. <laughs> so uh, uh, so I think uh, 13 to 80 uh, took care of the age range pretty well. I was happy about that. 
And and that was smart of you to to put testimonials or or reviews from both age demographics to show this is sort of a book for everybody. I think that's really fantastic. And that was smart marketing. <laughs> well, that was the publisher. That that was someone. That was Sebastian. Uh, so I had I had some some help. I got to give him credit for that. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a great tip and a great takeaway for other authors. You know, just show show yeah. the range of your books by you know using because you do say on the back of the book here. Um, you know, Dr. Rhonda Shervin, is that right? Shervin, yes. Yeah. Author of The Way of Love, The Path of Inner Transformation. So that's obviously a, an older person who's accomplished, right? And then you have Cecilia Anderson, teenage student at the Montessori Adolescent Program of St. Louis, Missouri, which yeah. is, you know, really great. It shows the, the range that this book yeah. appeals to, which is really smart marketing. Uh, yeah. Now, going back to the article that you included when you sent the, the book over to me, how about I just, you know, read the whole thing and you can comment on this because, I, you know, I found this, this really interesting. And, and again, share with listeners, this, you wrote this for a publication, a, a newspaper? Well, yeah, it was letters to the editor. You know, a lot of news, newspapers take in letters written by anyone in the neighborhood, I mean, that they serve. And uh, I, I did that years ago and they got published. I, this one, I was thinking about it. The, the book has actually caused me to think more about what I was writing. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I don't know, maybe other authors do this too, that after you finish, you start to think more about it mm -hmm. and you can go deeper into your own book. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things uh, Sebastian, again, the publisher said, was uh, some people, as soon as the book is published, all their friends and relatives and everybody start to, oh, you should have said this, you should have done that. And he goes, um, one fellow that he published, he wanted a, a new edition in two weeks. And he goes, no, we don't do that. And he, he goes, at least a year, and then we'll start to talk about it. He goes, but be prepared for people to, to talk to you about, you know, what you left out or what you should have done different. And um, so uh, the, this article that I wrote was actually just an extension of some of the things that I had already started to think about, but it was more adapted to what was going on then. You know, things happen, change quickly, and I'm going, okay, uh, let me just put an article together. It had to be 200 words or less, so I kept it short. So go ahead and read it, uh, Charlie, and I'll work yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you clarified that, too, because it was interesting. When I did read this article, I was I thought to myself, wait, he didn't really cover that stuff in the in the book. But I love hearing that this is a continuation in what you're thinking of next. And, you know, what's really neat about this is it doesn't necessarily have to be go back and revise the first the first book. Right. This this is like a second book in the making right here. You know, well, it could be it could be. Uh... You know, I'm finding I'm wandering into deeper and deeper water because there's so many, in quotes, experts out there. Mm. Uh, I'm not an expert at anything. I'm just an observer. But, um, you know, I guess maybe something will be the trigger to, to do a second book. So Yeah, so let me dive into this, uh, this article that you sent over, and, and I'd love to hear your commentary. Okay. So it says, Last fall, the book Nonsense to Horse Sense was published about lessons learned after bringing horses into my life. I believe these natural law insights, if modeled, would make us better people. The book touches upon justice, that elusive, intangible, every society desires. 
Today, justice is laws and courts, the means used when higher values have been abandoned. It is man-made and only a substitute for the real thing. True justice is as organic as our own will to survive and comes about when the truth of survival is understood and lived. To put things in perspective, a functioning community with 10 laws is stronger and more just than if it needed 100 laws. If in time, a thousand laws are needed, then that community has deteriorated to a point of collapse. What happened? How did we get here? Will bad paths lead to bad places? A society that invents truths is inferior to a society that seeks truth. Invented truth is the path on which 10 becomes 1,000. For justice, we must put aside egos and politics. Justice follows living basic survival truths we were designed to live. Horses got it right eons ago. Why can't we? So talk to us a little bit about, about that and your thoughts on justice and in, in the laws of society. Okay. I'm curious to your perspective. Okay. One of the things that, um, uh, well, I said earlier was, I, I didn't want to give away too much book, but I will talk about two chapters. And the, uh, the chapter on uh, uh, two questions. One was, is there nonsense in your life and is there nonsense in the world two questions and uh, I, i've asked that those two questions at horse shows you know when i do the author signings and without exception everybody has says yes and they're saying yes to both questions in my life and in the world so we didn't go into detail as to what the nonsense was but everybody th thinks that way mm -hmm. so uh, another chapter in the book, it's probably the shortest, I think it is the shortest chapter, and it's the definition of nonsense. And this was something that came about, and it's an impact definition. It's not like you would see in the dictionary. Uh, it was, it's, it's what impact does it have? So the, uh, the definition of nonsense for this book is that which diminishes harmony. And I, because here's the thing, the two don't coexist. If, if you have more of one, you have less of the other. And so this article really starts to try to uh, look at that, that if we're getting more, more and more nonsense, we're, we're, we're losing the harmony in our community. And when you lose harmony, one of the things, and we're just treating the, it's a band-aid approach. We're just treating the symptoms is we pass laws, you, you know, because people do bad things and the way you stop bad things is you pass laws. Well, if you keep passing more and more laws, that should tell you that we're, we're again, we're treating the symptoms. We're not getting to the root of the problem. Mm. And, and, and so that's why I'm saying 10 laws, a community with 10 laws is stronger and more just than one that needs a hundred laws. And if in time you need a thousand, you're just right at the point of collapse. I mean, that's just, you know, a simple way to put it based on what I was, I'm thinking from, again, thinking about what we do versus the horses. And that's the point I was trying to make with the horses is they're prey animals. They've been around for millions of years and they still do things the way their ancestors did. And uh, so that's why I think we could take a lesson from them. And then once I started to watch her dynamics and, and, and pull lessons away from it, 
I'm going, well, okay, there's, there's what we're doing wrong. We're, we're, they live to survive. They have to live a certain way. And uh, if they don't, you know, they're doomed. For example, um, if the lion makes a mistake, uh, he misses a meal. But if the zebra makes a mistake, he is the meal. Mm. So horses as prey animals have had to do it right. And uh, we, on the other hand, I think through technology and, and a lot of other things, uh, we just have, uh, I think, kind of made a mess of, of things. And we need to look at something, a, a, a model that has worked. And that's the message I'm trying to, I was trying to promote with the book, you know, like I said, whether you're a teenager or way beyond. And the article was just a little more in depth. I don't think a teenager would really understand it as much as an adult. But, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, is that the message? Did you get that from reading yeah. it? Oh, well, yes. I mean, a lot of what I, you know, you talk a lot about ego and self-absorption and, you know, the, you know, being, thinking about the self, like you're being the most important all the time rather than the community mentality. Yeah, yeah self-centered. And, and that really, you know, that is a very interesting parallel when you think about, you know, humans and herd animals and, and where harmony is out of balance. When you're always thinking right. about yourself, you're not thinking about the better, the betterment of community. Whereas in the, the herd, it's, it's not the self, it's the whole, right? You know, and there, is, there is established power within exactly. the herd, but the whole herd works together to create harmony and survival and safety because That's they're right. all working together. They, yes, they have, you know, one that they've, you know, said, selected as the leader because that's the one right. that's going to keep them safe, but they all work together, you know, and they all have a certain level of power and, and they work in harmony, right? Like I really got that. And I really see how that philosophy is very different than where humans are heading, right? It's very right. self-absorbed and egotistical right. and yeah. Right. So, so that, that definitely resonated with me for sure. Yeah, yeah, and you know, there's uh, other things like the rules uh, that, uh, or, or the axioms that uh, that evolved at the barn. Okay, you know, an axiom is a self-evident truth, and the one I liked, and I used it in the book. I mentioned it, referred to it, is the second one about I'm responsible. Doesn't matter at my barn. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm responsible, even if I'm not there. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm the herd leader. Mm -hmm. It's actually a herd of five, and I'm the herd leader. Mm -hmm. uh, so I take full responsibility. And I have got to tell you, that works well in any part of life, okay? Not just at the barn, but um, man up, you know? Just, okay, and, and deal with it. And, and that way, you're not making excuses. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not uh, wasting time. Uh, you know, arguing and things like that, you're going to, you're solving the problem. So Yeah. And I, lo I love that analogy too. Like I am responsible no matter what, because I'm the herd leader. And, and it's, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I don't actually, I don't want to give away parts of the book, but you know, for, for example, like if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time around horses and you get kicked, you can blame the horse or you can say what in my behavior 
makes me responsible for what happened. And that could be, I'm not paying attention or I knew I shouldn't put myself in this position and I ended up getting kicked or I ignored the signs that there was upset with the horse and I was in the way. I own responsibility for that. It's not the stupid horse. It's me, right? Exactly. Exactly. I'm in the stall with these horses all the time. I feel very comfortable. They know me, I know them. Uh, however, if anything ever happens where I get, you know, pounded between the, a horse and the wall, that's my fault, mm-hmm. you know, because a horse can spook at any time. We all know that. Mm-hmm. And I gave some examples in the book about getting clobbered and, and learning from it. Mm-hmm. And once again, my horses are my best friends. And uh, even when I go down and take out hay out into the paddock, you know, I know that I'm a, I'm a magnet with the hay. Now, I do know the pecking order, and so which horse is going to approach. But on rare occasion, the two of them will come from a different direction that I don't necessarily see or hear. Mm-hmm. And you'll see a spin and a kick, okay? Uh, now, whose fault is that? That's my fault because I'm going out there with, that's bringing them together. And it's just a little tussle that happens when you first bring the hay out. Once they, I spread it out and once they all find their little spot, then everything's good again. But. Yeah. And well, and I also, I also like that because I think we share this with like horses make us better people because we have to think about something other than ourselves. Okay. Like the horse always comes first and how are they behaving? That comes first because that's going to, you know, cause a situation. Like as a horse owner, not only do they bring you peace, not only do they become your best friends, but they make you more aware and yes. also like more responsible because you're thinking of others rather than yourself. And this has become, our society has become a very me society right. rather than thinking about other things. That's why I think horses and horse ownership is so special because it sort of breaks that uh, me, me, me sort of. Right. Right. Well, exactly. And, you know, it's pretty much a, it's a one man show here because my wife is not into the horses. So uh, anytime they it doesn't matter what the weather is, it's a seven day a week job. Mm-hmm. And, and But I know that. And mm-hmm. I talk about going down at midnight. Uh, in the I winter. love that part. I love that part. Let's not spoil it. That's such a, <laughs> such a beautiful part. But yeah, you do a lot of. Um, sharing of your observations and the complete peace that you experience yeah. care of your herd. And yeah, we'll say that for when they read the book, because I really love that part. But Okay. okay. Well, let me ask you another <laughs> I said it was a beautiful snowy night, and he was all bundled up, not wanting to go outside into the cold, but you went anyway, and you had this miraculous experience, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that happens still, you know, every time. All you have to do is look for it. Once you tune into it, it's just mm-hmm. a matter of and the hard part is getting up out of that chair, you know, uh, it's tough, but it's well worth the effort for sure. Mm-hmm. And let me just ask you a question. And uh, did you, did you like the chapter on barn? Um, barn. Oh, barn. Yes, I did. I did like the part. I did like the chapter on barn. There, there's also other animals that, that do yeah. come along inside the book that join your herd. And I did like that chapter very much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's still with us. He, he, he he's still with us. So we, we'll, we won't talk about it anymore, but. Uh, great. Well, maybe, maybe you should give listeners just a hint of who Barn is. <laughs> well, Barn is short for Barney and who's our Barn, Barn cat. And I have to tell you, Barn cats are invaluable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're especially where we were, uh, 
uh, mice were just everywhere and he made it all the difference in the world. So, but anyhow, that's just who Barn is and they can read more about what what, all, what else he did for us, so. Yeah, and he also became a part of your herd and your family and your community, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, but you start to see the connections between everything. All the things, yes, it's like every, like, yeah. it's like everything yes. takes care of itself, it's like an ecosystem. Exactly. Um, that I think we sometimes forget to overlook because we're not paying attention to Mother Nature and how right. systems work. And, you know, like right. you, you really talk about, you know, and that's just a little component of horses in the world. You know, there's all these things work together in order to create the harmony that you talked about. You right. Know? right, 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 right. Exactly. And, and once again, if, if you don't have the harmony, nonsense shows up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so important to, to be vigilant. I think we all need to be vigilant. And, and uh, no parents should teach it to their kids, and, and so that way it's it's something that uh, we all benefit from. You know, yeah, it's really cool. And you know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, a few of the uh, you know writing responsibilities. Like, so so this is your first book. So uh, it, was this this? It's, you've mentioned your publisher a few times. Can you tell us a little bit about? Uh, your publisher, how you ended up working together? I mean, did you solicit to the publisher? Did they come to you? Like, how did how did that end up working out? Actually, I think uh, probably different than for most authors. Mm-hmm. I had a publisher before I had a book, <laughs> and so when I went to Rhonda, you know, Dr. Rhonda, about writing the book, she and she says, "No, you write it. I'll help." Well, she had access to this man. Uh, to his publishing company because some of her books had been, you know, through him. And uh, she said he's always willing to help young authors or new authors. And so um, when it became apparent that it was going to be me writing it, I contacted him and um, he says, well, write something, write me something. Okay. So I did. And it was just some thoughts. Just at this point, they were just random thoughts, not anywhere close to you know, a coherent book or anything. So uh, I submitted it and he goes, I said, what do you think? He goes, well, write me some more, keep writing. Well, I think I think what you're talking about is like a, a real testament to the beauty of relationships and also the power of authors uniting, right? Because mm-hmm. what, what occurred for you is you had a relationship with Dr. Rhonda who had already published books and had a relationship with the publisher and because of that, yeah. it opened a door and gave you an opportunity to make another connection with the publisher, and the publisher gave you a shot. So this is this is why I think authors uniting is so important, and I think why cultivating relationships within the industry with people who are doing things that you envy and maybe some things that are similar is, is really powerful because they always say, like, nobody gets anywhere without having known someone, right? It's all about yeah. no. Um, that really, you know, and then having talent is just, you know, icing on the cake. But, you know, a lot of the doors open because of relationships you've built and, and who you've been being in the world. Are you creating harmony or nonsense, right? People are <laughs> yeah, gonna, yeah. People are yeah. Be willing to, to help you out if you've been great and supportive and, and interested. And, you know, that's sort of how the world works, right? Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. And, and I think, you know, her books uh, are, they're very uh, philosophical. Uh, you know, they get people thinking they're deep books, religious. She writes a lot of religious books. But um, I, I think a publisher may look at, okay, what am I becoming a part of? 
Is it something that I can be happy and proud of, or is this something I'm going to have to make excuses for at some point? So mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's all part of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, good for you. I mean, that it just, again, like what I love the most about this podcast is a lot of the, the authors I speak to and the journeys that they go on. It's like something magical pulls them forward to, to begin writing their books, but then also like the people that show up to help them put their book babies into yeah. the world. And that's sort of the same thing that's happened to you. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, when you started out, like what's something you wish you had known before you took on writing a book or stepping into this author career? Well, it's, um, I wish I had known more about the business in general, even though I had two very good companions to, to do all of that. Um, I, I found that it's the same as any industry because I did start a business uh, mm. on my own business about 30 years ago. And by then I'd already had 17 years in, you know, working as an engineer. And uh, so I had some good bit, uh, business experience, but when I went into another industry, no one had ever heard of me. No one had ever heard of my products. And you can't take what you know from one industry and just, apply it to another. Some of the general principles, yes, you have to be hardworking and honest and dedicated and things like that. But it's the little things that uh, takes takes time to learn. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you, that's where I think a lot of people have a problem. They, they just can't survive that gap between actually getting to a place where it can be, you know, they, they can make a living at it. And so they fail. And, and the, the, what I found about the book business is it's very competitive. And um, uh, I, I guess I, without knowing it, I, I, that didn't surprise me in some ways. But uh, I just wish I had known a little bit more. I think it would have been maybe a little bit less frustrating in some ways because the, the, my problem right now is, is the promotion of it. I, th I think it's just the industry in general, the publishing and the book. That I wish I'd known a little bit more about it. It probably would have been a little bit easier to know. Okay, you got to go to horse shows, which is fine. I love horse shows. I had I've had really great discussions there, and uh, enjoyed the people. Uh, but like I said, it's not going to be an immediate overnight success mm -hmm. because you get you have to go through all those trials and you know the protocol. To, to, to really, if people like it, then yeah, maybe it'll catch on and, and go from there. Yeah, I, and I think you bring up a really interesting point that, you know, a lot of, a lot of authors actually I've spoken to on this show have thought, okay, I, once I write the book, it's just going to go out there and it's going to do great and it's going to sell itself. Well, that, you know, it's like that is really actually not the case. Like there is right. a whole, because I, I don't know, I think there's like, I don't know the number for sure, but like a million books are being published every day. So there's like a sea of books in the world. And yeah. if nobody's heard of your book, they're right. not going to go out and buy it. There's like this whole engine that you have to create on the back end of having right. written a book. And a lot of the publishers put the marketing onto the authors, you know, so it's like, it's, it's your responsibility to, to talk about your book baby and get it out into yeah. the world. And Dave, you're doing something really great today. You're talking with me on this podcast, and I'm hoping that this podcast will put a bigger spotlight on people who are writing about horses in their books. So this is check, good step, you know. And then you know, there's 
what I'm hearing is there's a lot to learn and, and educating yourself on maybe ways that you can promote yourself for free without having to hire someone on the outside or maybe get some coaching from someone like myself or someone else, you know, in the industry that's doing it and doing it well to help you build your, you know, butterfly net so you can scoop them up in, in different ways and not do it and have to spend a lot of money. Right. Um, So if you could go back, how would you have, what would you do to educate yourself or where would you start? What would you do to educate yourself if you like right now? You talking about the writing process or the selling? Well, process? You just said, well, you just said you had, you wish you had known more about the publishing industry. So you can pick and pick one. Cause all of that kind of falls under it. Writing, publishing, yeah. marketing, it all kind of yeah. falls together. Like yeah. what would you, where would you have gone to start? Well, I, I saw the, uh, one of your questions was going through a traditional publisher or independent mm-hmm. publishing. Um, since, you know, I had a publisher and I didn't really have to make a choice. But I, I think what I would really do going back is researching. Now, once again, if you have to do it yourself, being self-employed, uh, not with the business that, was, that I've had for 30 years, but also the one that um, was about five years ago. You, people just don't realize that's an art in itself mm-hmm. is to sell things and, and to, to get, you know, to, to get known. Um, so if I had to do it over, I would probably research and I talk to people like yourself mm-hmm. and, um, and, and learn and start to put the pros and cons together. Like I've met other authors at these shows at the signings and a lot of them are independent. But this one lady told me, she says, I got 5,000 books in my basement. Okay. <laughs> and so when she goes to horse shows, she has to, you know, have a good, good outing because those 5,000 books don't move themselves, you know? So was she traditionally published or independently published? I, I, I'm taking she was independently published. Well, it, she was probably traditionally published because that's what happens to a lot of traditionally published authors with like with the bigger houses is they have, uh, oh. they, they print their books in humongous batches. That's the beauty of being on demand, on demand, print your books to take to events and order them as one-offs, like a 25 book batch here, a 50 book batch here, even 10 books at a time. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times with ind- or traditional publishing, you sign that contract and then they print the books in bulk and you have to sell through all those books before they do another. That's where you get the first run, the second round, the third, third edition okay. run through okay. a couple of times. So it's just interesting. And you're right. And that's why I started this podcast for this reason. Exactly. So, you know, you know, I, I came, came really small with my, my target audience because, you know, I, I wanted to speak to equestrians who are writing books and this is an opportunity to hear from other authors on their journeys and discovering and I think this is a theme like really do your research before you commit one way or the other and and understand what you're getting yourself into you know because there's also you know ownership of intellectual property there's also you know who owns that there's also you know rights to audiobooks and ebooks there's also royalties you know a lot of independent authors make more money than traditional published authors because the yes. royalty rates are higher so there, there's a lot of stuff to educate yourself on because and i always say to people write the book first 
and then do you know figure all this stuff out later because none of it matters until you've written the book, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to have a manuscript that's worth uh, taking the next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, or or just at least a first draft that you can keep improving upon. But unless you've got a book to sell and market and pitch to you know traditional publisher or go the independent route, you don't you don't have to worry with the, about any of that stuff because you don't have anything yet. You know. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. So you know, I you know as we're going through this conversation, we're starting to get towards the end. And I love to ask people these questions, you know, what's, what has been the hardest part for you about being an author of a book? And then on the flip side, what's the best part, you know, and I, and I, I read your, your uh, answers to the questionnaire, but I think that there might be a little bit more to, you know, what you shared there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I figured you'd pick up on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The What's the hard part? The answer was, my answer was the writing. Well, the uh, of course it's the writing. But what I learned was I had all these random thoughts and, and they weren't in any order. And uh, so when I committed to doing this, I had to reorganize things. And then one of the things Dr. Rhonda said to me at one point as I started to write second half chapters she goes mm, sounds like it's a little redundant You're, i'm hearing the same thing over and over and she goes but but uh, maybe i'm too close to it now so maybe somebody else should kind of take a look and uh, but i i knew deep down that she was right now here's what i found to be the hard part once you've written something is to get rid of it mm-hmm. to clean house because you're going i've got all this time and work into it and yeah, it sounds okay on its own, but when it connects to the other chapters, it is redundant. And that went against the design, my thoughts about how the book should be designed. Short chapters, easy read. But if you're reading the same thing over and over again, just adding pages, not really any content. Mm-hmm. So I had to go through and do some house cleaning, and that was it. So if I ever wrote a second book, what I would do is do the outline. You know, as an engineer, you have to plan, and I was good at that. But uh, it was a, a bit of a mess uh, in the beginning, and then once I got through that, uh, I'd be much smarter the second time. And what do I enjoy, enjoy the most? What's written. I, I have got to tell you, uh, I'm sure any author, once they've gotten through that draft and they can't make it any better, it actually sounds good to them. You go, yes, yes, you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, you go and celebrate and so what is written is really the best part so that's really the answers that I gave yeah and and that it's great you added a little more context to those answers and you know there's nothing like that feeling of holding your book that you've worked on enslaved on for so long you know put your heart into in your hands there's nothing like that feeling and I wanted to go back to like the the writing part that you're talking about what you were sharing about is you did something really important, which was to get other people's eyes on your writing to give you, sometimes it's hard to like get that sort of feedback, but that's a very important step on getting across the line that and editing, right? You worked with a traditional publisher. So I'm I'm sure they provided you with the editing process, but having those beta readers or advanced readers and just getting their insights, you know, before it's, towards completion is really important because they can see things when you spend a lot of time working on something and writing on something sometimes you just stop 
seeing it because you're so, so close to it. You know, there's like repetition of words or there's something might not fit. And that's why you really need the perspective of other people. So it sounds like you did a really smart thing, which was getting other people's eyes on it early on. Yeah. And, and that is so important. Even I've heard NFL players say that um, uh, the coaches, some players are coachable and some mm. players are not. Mm -hmm. Okay. They know everything and you can't coach them even though they've got bad habits. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I learned that lesson. I think being older, I learned that lesson a long time ago. You want people that are smarter than you mm -hmm. to look at your work and take them seriously. Okay. My brother, for example, uh, a couple of quick ones. My brother says, Oh, I didn't like the way you said something uh, about our early childhood. I go, well, what's the problem? You know, he's my brother. And so what's going on here? What's got you going? And he mentioned it. I said, okay, I, I get your point. Uh, I said, I'll reword it. It was the same message, but just worded in a different way. And uh, he also picked up on something else, you know, but these are the things you want. And, and even Marianne uh, picked up on a, a phrase, a phrase. And she goes, oh, no, no, uh, uh, that wasn't it at all. I said, okay, I mean, reword it. I, I hear you. And, but that made the book better because <laughs> it makes you better. So you're more aware of it and you don't stumble into that so much. You know? uh, I, I really like what you said about being coachable. That is very important. And having someone smarter than you in your corner to help you make your work better. Like there, that is a really important life lesson is to be coachable. Like when people have feedback, you don't always have to accept it either, but you should at least right. listen to what people have to say, consider it, and then you can choose to do right. something like that or, or not. It, the choice is up to you, but that's part of being coachable is just being able to hear what someone is sharing with you and really think it through and decide whether you're going to act on it or not. You know, so exactly. I think that's, that's a really important message that you just shared. Yeah, yeah, but you should get a lot of input mm -hmm. and then find out what makes sense for you. And then right. as you get more into it, then, you know, you've got this figured out to some degree. It's still good to hear from people, but you're not going to make the same rookie mistakes that you made early on that everybody was telling you about. Right, which is which goes back to educating yourself and being responsible for educating yourself before you exactly. take on any endeavor. Get the information, talk to other people, build your network, you know, create right. a relationship, right. and, and people will help you grow. Um, and yeah. that's what this is all about authors uniting. Like, look at all the wealth of information that you've shared with other authors here on the show today or aspiring authors and with me. You know, I learned a lot from your book and it was really great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. It means a lot. Well, thank you for sending me a copy. I really, really appreciate your generosity. So, so Dave, we're getting towards the end of our interview here. I would love it if you would tell readers where they can find more information about you and your book. Well, uh, my book, let's go about, about my book. Uh, actually, that's one of my weak points. I don't really, I'm not on social media. I, I've never really needed it up to this point. You know, I go back to the good old days. Uh, for all the technology. And um, so I guess that's, a, that's something that's not helping me because I don't have this, you know, all the social media to get the word out. But um, it, it is, uh, the book is on Amazon. Uh, so if you go there and either, you know, put in the title or the PD Basconi, um, either one, it'll come up. And uh, it's on the, um, the publisher's website. However, it's just going to swing you back over to Amazon. So okay. if anyone that's interested in the book, 
just go to Amazon. You can buy the ebook at Barnes and Noble. Uh, of course, you can get the ebook on, on Amazon as well. So great. Uh, I will link to your book in the show notes so people can find them. And Dave, I would say it's okay, right? That you that you're not utilizing social media. You're not the only one. It is a resource and a free tool that you can use. And there are a lot of us out here that can uh, help you out and give you a little coaching. And I'm happy to talk to you offline as well. Uh, but do check out this podcast. There is a lot of valuable information. Oh. If you're interested in figuring out how to market and promote your books from other authors, I mean, I'm learning things that I had not heard of. Um, in particular, there is an episode, I think it's episode five. It's Ann Hunter. She's written mm -hmm. the North Oak series books. And she goes into all of this excellent book marketing that actually works. And, you know, she has a wealth of information. So I would highly recommend checking out that episode. And I continually add so, you know, when you talk about educating yourself, this is a great place to start and oh, marketing yourself because you're here on the show talking with me and, and yeah. that's a really good start too. Yeah. And I will say, I, I did look at a lot of those other podcasts uh, just to get a feel for how this was going to go. They're mm -hmm. excellent. They're excellent because you're right. Everybody brings in their own experience and their own experience and you just pick up a little things from people. That's all you need. And that's how at the end of the year, you're so much smarter. It's yeah. these little tidbits along the way. And then it allows you to take the next step. Mm -hmm. and, and and when you look back over two, three years, you can't believe sometimes how much you've grown. But it was really day by day, you know? That's, so. that's exactly right. And uh, thank you for listening to the shows. I really appreciate that. And I'm glad they're adding value to your author life. And uh, Dave, I've so enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you for the gift of your time. And uh, Let's have you back on the show and you write that book too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. That's a deal. Carly, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and all that you've done. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>